The Dragon Boat Festival is upon us, but this year the government wants you to stay home. Many people have heeded the call to cancel their travel plans. The high-speed rail says its trains will only be 5% full this long weekend, while the rail and coach systems will be under 4%. All told, just about 65,000 passengers are expected over the holiday, down from the usual 4 or 5 million. In addition, the transport ministry has put limits on the use of national freeways. Previously, for Dragon Boat Festival, we would implement measures such as high occupancy vehicle restrictions and toll suspensions between midnight and 5 a.m. This time, we have not imposed most of those measures. The only ones in place are flat toll rate and very strict ramp metering. We hope to bring holiday traffic flow to a minimum and reduce infection risk. We have imposed a cap on freeway capacity. If it is exceeded, cars will be stopped at on-ramps. If the wait gets too long at an access point, police will arrive at the scene to disperse traffic. Our most important goal is to reduce movement. Also, at all freeway service stops, stands and shops will be closed. The only facilities open will be toilets and petrol stations. The Central Epidemic Command Center reported 286 local COVID infections and 24 deaths on Friday. Taiwan's latest R number, which measures infectious spread, is down to 0.7 from last week's 1.2. Even though viral spread appears to be slowing down, health authorities are warning the public not to let down its guard over the long weekend. A COVID vaccine candidate developed by Medigen Vaccine Biologics will have to demonstrate its efficacy in order to get approval for emergency use. But so far, it hasn't been tested on people in an environment with widespread community transmission. The Taiwan Food and Drug Administration says in the absence of real-world efficacy data, local vaccine makers can use an alternative method to show their candidate's protective effect. This method, called immunobridging, involves comparing the immune response created in the body by the candidate to the immune response elicited by the AstraZeneca vaccine. Medigen aims to obtain emergency use authorization for its COVID vaccine in July. According to guidelines released by the FDA on Thursday, Medigen may demonstrate its vaccine's efficacy against COVID through an approach called immunobridging. In its immunobridging study, 200 people vaccinated with AstraZeneca will be the control group. They'll be compared against people who received the domestic vaccine. Samples collected 28 days after full vaccination will be compared. If the Medigen group's neutralizing antibodies are at least equal to the level seen in the control group, Medigen's candidate will meet the standard for emergency use authorization. How can we determine whether the domestic vaccine is effective? At present, we're only able to do it this way. At the end of June, results will be released from the study on the AstraZeneca control group. If Medigen can show that its neutralizing antibody titer is equal to or greater than that of AZ, then its EUA application will have a good chance of approval by the FDA. Because of the pandemic, we've decided to do things this way, after weighing all the trade-offs. Of course, we are in a race against time. The hope is to get protected first, but afterward, we still need to see the formal procedures unfold. In a video posted to social media, former Vice President Chen Jianren threw his support behind the FDA's fast track for local vaccines. 
In many countries, there are vaccine candidates that haven't entered phase three. That around phase two are investigated to see if the neutralizing antibody titer after vaccination is high enough to have a protective effect. Such a process is very much supported by the EU. He also defended the CECC's controversial purchase of 5 million domestic vaccine doses last month before the completion of phase two trials. Why was Israel so fast? As soon as the Pfizer vaccine was ready, Israel already had all the doses it needed. This was because while Pfizer was still developing the vaccine, Israel had already placed its purchase order. And at the time, the price was higher. I would rather spend a little more to help ensure that the vaccine's R&D process goes smoothly. In the video, Chen spelled out Taiwan's vaccine procurement strategy. Our hope is that 65% of Taiwan's population can be covered by vaccines. Our first path to vaccine access is buying them from major international manufacturers. The amount purchased is about 20 million doses. The other path is getting them from domestic manufacturers, which will produce 10 million vaccine doses. With questions swirling over COVID vaccines, the former VP and epidemiologist by training addressed concerns of the hour one by one. With AstraZeneca, Moderna and potentially two local COVID vaccine brands emerging as options in Taiwan, experts are starting to consider if it's wise to mix vaccines. This means instead of getting two doses of the same brand, you might get Moderna as the first dose, followed by a different brand such as AstraZeneca. Huang Liming, an infectious diseases expert, believes that a mix and match strategy offers valuable flexibility and may even be safer. But Li Bingying, an advisor to the Central Epidemic Command Center, says the jury is still out on whether it produces a greater immune response. With the pandemic raging, experts widely agree that vaccines are the only way to stop the spread. But the COVID virus is also mutating, threatening the efficacy of currently available vaccines. On Thursday, Medigen CEO Charles Chen said some countries were investigating whether mixing and matching vaccine brands can fight emerging strains. For instance, examining the effects of an AstraZeneca shot followed by a dose of Medigen. But Dr. Ling Bingying, the convener of a Central Epidemic Command Center Advisory Committee, struck a more cautious stance on mixing vaccines. Mixing vaccines increases the risk of adverse reactions, and such a regimen may not produce a better immune response, so we don't recommend it. We would only suggest mixing and matching under special circumstances. For example, when supplies run out and you have no choice but to use another vaccine. Or if you had a severe allergic reaction to the first dose of the vaccine and you need to change brands. Under special circumstances, you can consider mixing vaccines. But without a steady supply of any single foreign vaccine brand, mixing and matching may be an important way forward. According to National Taiwan University Children's Hospital Superintendent Huang Liming, Huang said that more research on the efficacy of mixed vaccine courses was an imperative. Preliminary studies have shown that when the AstraZeneca vaccine is administered with a Pfizer vaccine, the incidence of adverse reactions is relatively high. However, all the adverse reactions observed were minor. We have to look at antibody production. At present, there's no consensus on that, but I believe that in the future we will be seeing more recommendations on mixing vaccines. Today, there's a German study on mixing AstraZeneca and Pfizer. According to preliminary findings from the Charité Berlin Hospital and Saarland University, 
Mixing the two brands gives a boost in antibody production. Although the study is promising, it's still at too small a scale to assess safety. A study by the University of Oxford finds that mixing vaccines greatly increases the incidence of side effects. The KMT has deleted an inflammatory post on its English-language Twitter account following a furious backlash. The tweet was directed at Singaporean activist and journalist Roy Nung, who praised President Tsai Ing-wen for building strong relationships with other democracies. The KMT account tweeted that Nung was an extreme white supremacist despite being a person of color. For the biggest opposition party in Taiwan to have these racist comments on its official account is not just damaging to the KMT's image, it's also damaging Taiwan's image. The DPP lawmaker was visibly irate, discussing a recent tweet posted to the KMT's official English language account, saying the post was a disgrace to Taiwan. It all started with a tweet by a Singaporean activist who said vaccine donations from Japan and the U.S. reflected Taiwan's strong relationships with other democracies. The KMT's English-language account replied to the tweet, saying, The cognitive dissonance of being such an extreme white supremacist whilst being a POC must be extremely painful for you. Its tweet triggered a flurry of responses from foreign journalists. One asked if this racist attack was what the KMT stood for today. Another said that Taiwan deserves a credible opposition. When I saw it, I was actually rather amused. If they are sowing discord for the sake of politics to be pro-China, it's not meaningful for Taiwan. It may have been the case that someone in the team forgot to switch accounts. After that was discovered, we issued an apology to international media and to the persons involved. It's not the first time that someone affiliated with the KMT made controversial comments online. In May, former KMT foreign language consultant William Wayne Thompson referred to President Tsai as a virgin and a loyal dog to the West when discussing Tsai's John McCain Prize for Leadership in Public Service. On Friday, the KMT distanced itself from Thompson. The KMT does not endorse his remarks, and they do not reflect the party's position. That consultant in question left his post in March. We think that the content of these comments is quite problematic. We'd like to solemnly ask party chairman Chiang to come forward and apologize. Once again, the KMT's international division is embroiled in controversy, and the party's chairman is being asked for a response. Whether he can put out the fire remains to be seen. Hotels are offering reduced rates for firefighters and police. These professionals are the first at the scene after a COVID death is reported, and they're tasked with tracking down confirmed cases that go missing. They're at higher risk of infection due to their work, and many are afraid of bringing the virus home to their families. To give these frontline workers an option away from home, some hotels are also offering early check-in and late checkout to accommodate shift schedules. In the fight against the pandemic, police and firefighters are on standby 24-7. Many fear giving the virus to their families and end up spending nights outside the home. To support these frontline professionals, hotels have launched special stay packages to provide a home away from home. They can check in earlier at 12 o'clock and stay for a full 24 hours. The hotel will also provide breakfast. Fine dining meal sets can be ordered for room service, so that police officers and firemen can truly relax and recharge in the room and get ready for the next day. There's a special on at the Cosmos Hotel Taipei, as well as the Hotel Royal, 
which has a two-person package that includes breakfast and a free room upgrade on weekdays. From national chains like the Tango Group to small Wanhua hotels, there is a rush to support COVID's frontline troops. Special accommodations are made for shift schedules, such as 24-hour check-in. Due to the impact of the epidemic, our occupancy rate has declined since the Level 3 alert was issued. However, out of gratitude and a desire to give back, we will continue to provide such discounts until the end of the year. Cheaper rates and complimentary breakfast, as well as greater flexibility with check-in and check-out. These specials are designed to take care of frontline workers who risk their lives caring for the community. At last, after being stalled for five years, the Taiwan-U.S. TIFA talks are about to resume. A new round of talks based on the Trade and Investment Framework Agreement is expected to be held within the next few weeks, according to President Tsai Ing-wen. The talks are seen as a stepping stone to a bilateral trade agreement. U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai met virtually with Minister Without Portfolio John Deng on Thursday. The two sides agreed to revive the TIFA framework, which has been dormant since 2016. According to the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative, Tai expressed interest in working with Taiwan on, quote, issues of common concern in multilateral organizations. On social media, the American Institute in Taiwan said the talks would allow the two sides to deepen their supply chain collaboration. The Japan Senate has passed a resolution supporting Taiwan's participation in the World Health Organization. The resolution, which was passed unanimously on Friday, urges Japan to work with other countries to promote Taiwan's inclusion. It said that Taiwan's exclusion from the WHO's meeting this year was a loss for the world's pandemic containment effort. Taiwan's foreign ministry said it welcomed the Japanese Senate's resolution and would continue to deepen its partnership with Japan and other like-minded nations. The three countries of Australia, New Zealand and Taiwan have all implemented strong restrictions on private rights with fines and detentions. It is true that some countries have implemented lockdown measures, but after there was some effect, viral spread returned. In countries where COVID spread returns, such as Australia, New Zealand and Taiwan, the differences seen lay in the degree to which the public could tolerate restrictions. Japan Prime Minister Suga Yoshihide and the leader of the Constitutional Democratic Party both referred to Taiwan as a country during a meeting of the National Diet on Wednesday. Two days later, Japan's Senate passed a unanimous resolution to support Taiwan's participation in the WHO. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs extends its warm welcome and sincere gratitude. In the future, we will continue to work with Japan and other like-minded countries to deepen the bilateral relationship. The Japan Senate's bipartisan resolution calls on the WHO to deal with the Taiwan issue. It also calls on nations worldwide to agree to Taiwan's inclusion in the 2022 World Health Assembly. The resolution states that Taiwan's experience in the field of public health is indispensable to the world. It said Taiwan's inclusion from this year's assembly was a loss for the global fight to end COVID. The Japan Senate's unprecedented resolution to support Taiwan's inclusion in the WHO is of great significance. 
It shows that China's military expansion in recent years, its domestic human rights violations and its wolf warrior diplomacy have aroused public outrage globally. Taiwan has used its insistence on democracy and freedom, used its soft power to win the unanimous affirmation of Japanese society and even the Japanese government. The Japan Senate's move comes a month after the French Senate passed a resolution in support of Taiwan's participation in international organizations. Taiwan has two internationally renowned airlines. It should not be excluded from international discussions on aviation safety, environmental protection and economic development initiatives. Ahead of this year's WHA, the French Senate voted 304 to 0 to adopt a resolution backing Taiwan's participation in global organizations. The extension of Level 3 COVID alert means kids won't be going back to school this academic year. Perhaps the biggest impact will be felt by parents. Homeschooling and parenting duties will be full-time for the rest of the summer. Let's hear from parents about the struggles of handling kids while working, as well as opportunities to experiment with new styles of parenting. Dad's working from home and trying to join colleagues in an online meeting. But his daughter has other ideas. She screeches and waves his arm, trying to get him to play. Then she's tired and falls asleep on his lap. The extension of Level 3 now means schools won't reopen before fall. It's tough news for parents. The kids still have to attend online lessons, so I have to help them with that and also work myself. Then at lunch I have to become the cook, and in the afternoon I have to supervise their naps. What a Herculean task. Karen has three children, age three, five, and seven. She and her husband both have office jobs and take turns to take time off to care for the children. With one parent handling three kids, it can be hard to manage all the demands. The most overwhelming thing is when I'm at home with them and they take it in turns to complain about each other. The other low point is when I call my boss and the kids are next to me shouting, I did a poo, and I feel so embarrassed. For this education expert, caring for kids while working from home can also be a chance to experiment in a new format for children's education. The younger they are, the more they need the presence of their parents. While they are studying, you can listen in and you might realize when they have understood and when not, and afterward you can go through it with them. She says this time can be a trial period for new styles of parenting. If all the demands aren't too overwhelming, it can also be a precious opportunity to spend more time with your children and find a routine tailored to their specific needs. Now, wouldn't it be nice if those overwhelming parenting duties could be financially compensated? Well, applications open next week for the government's COVID bailout for families. An online application system goes live next Tuesday with payments to go out starting Friday. Those who don't want to apply online can do so at an ATM of three designated banks starting from June 18th. The benefit of the online application is that you don't need to go out. With the ATM option, you might have to wait in line. You can load up the website 10,000.gov.tw where there will be a button to click on to apply. Then fill in the form. All you need is your child's NHI number, the ID number of their parent or guardian, and the account number and bank code of the parent or guardian. Submit the form and the system will transfer the money on June 18th. On the day, you'll be able to see whether your application was approved and whether the relief payment was processed. 
Families eligible for the subsidy are those with children up to sixth grade, as well as children with disabilities up to the last year of high school or junior college. The subsidy for each child is 10,000 NT, and applications close on September 30th. Online education is a massive learning curve for teachers and students. It's not just school teachers sailing in the choppy waters of the web. Distance learning is especially hard in music. Some music schools report a loss of over 50% of their profits. Annis, the piano teacher, plays a Chopin nocturne over video call to inspire her student on the end of the line. She can't sit at the student's side right now or correct their playing in person, but online she can give guidance. In another window, she adds notes to the sheet music to give the student personalized direction. Anna said she considered suspending classes during lockdown, but with no end in sight, decided to try online class. At first, my students all dropped away, maybe 80% of them. Then they gradually came back. But there's just no way to do classes for the ones who can't operate it or who don't have a piano at home. Piano playing is no armchair sport. Classes really hinge on physical technique, posture and rhythm, the mechanics of how the keys are pressed, and fine points of muscle tension. Playing a piece for the teacher online is hard. Playing a duet online is harder. Online, we can't be totally in sync. In the past, when he played a certain way, I could immediately play along with him, or interrupt, or physically move his hand and tell him how much force to apply, or tell him what is the exact correct position of his wrist. Another music teacher struggling in this lockdown is this jazz drummer. Most students don't have a jazz drum kit at home, nor do their neighbors consent to hearing all the practice. For many arts professionals, level three is a gigantic blow.